Welcome back to Pace Immigration, paceimmigration.com, talking with immigration lawyer Michael O'Rourke. Michael, good to see you. Hi, Sean. How's it going? Very well. Thank you very much. We're talking today about criminal inadmissibility. We get a lot of, or rather, you get a lot of emails from people out there who might have a criminal conviction in their past, and they want to know, can I get into the United States anyway? So we're going to cover that today. Uh, We called up Section 212A of the Immigration and Nationality Act, which deals with inadmissibility. Talk about that, Michael. So inadmissibility is a legal concept where if you have a certain characteristic or a certain past, uh, then uh, the U.S. doesn't want you to come in unless you're vetted. So um, uh, often we find people with criminal histories uh, being turned away at the U.S. border based on their criminal convictions or admission to having committed a crime that might not have been convicted. And so uh, we get into something called uh, inadmissibility and uh, a waiver of that inadmissibility to ultimately enter the U.S. Right. There's multiple reasons why someone would be inadmissible to the United States. Today, we're going to stick close to the criminal and related grounds, but it was interesting We're also going to talk about the health-related grounds because they're somewhat tied together. Talk about that. Yeah, this is surprising because health-related grounds, you normally think of something like an active tuberculosis infection or something where you could be a public danger uh, for uh, spreading some sort of disease that's communicable. However, the U.S. government tends to look at any sort of drug history or DUI, multiple DUI, more than a single one, but multiple DUI occurrences as being potentially a health problem as well as a criminal problem. So um, with health-related inadmissibility that relates to substance abuse, for instance, it is often going to be the case that the uh, government in the uh, course of a waiver application is going to have you uh, present proof either from an independent medical examiner, independent panel physician, uh, or from your uh, treatment professionals at home showing that this is indeed not a an addiction that could cause harm to either somebody else or yourself. Right. We've got some stuff here. We break down 212A1, health-related grounds, a little more like you were saying, physical or mental disorder, history of behavior associated with the disorder. I think that's key is how long this has been going on. Like you were saying, addiction, and we have drug abuser or addict. How long is that process? I mean, does someone have to go through like a rehab program and prove that they're not an addict anymore? Or what, what's the story there? Well, they might want to see evidence of that. Uh, to give you an idea of how broad this can be, uh, I once represented a lady who, uh, she was a Brazilian national, and she had gone up to Vancouver for a quick weekend, came back into the U.S., and uh, the CBP folks found a grinder in her makeup bag. It had trace amounts of marijuana, but no real substance. But because of that, they revoked her visa. They said, well, you have to now have a visa appointment at a U.S. consulate abroad somewhere. And at that 
uh, consular appointment, she was actually sent to get an independent medical exam to make sure that she was not a drug user, all from just finding a grinder in her makeup bag. So um, uh, she had to prove a negative, basically. And that was that she didn't have a history of abuse, she wasn't an addict, and that she wouldn't be a harmful element coming back into the United States. Man, that border, eh? Like, you know, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but crossing that border is so key to make sure you've got your ducks in a row, not only paperwork-wise, but you don't have anything on you that's going to trip you up because yes. uh, the, the border is... Uh, is a danger zone for you when it comes to immigration. It uh, is. And my best free advice, don't wear a shirt with a pot leaf on it. I have seen this happen more than once. <laughs> incredible. Anyway. Yeah. Probably not, not a wise idea to have a Grateful Dead and a bong in your hand crossing the border. Yeah. You know, like yeah, Grateful Dead t-shirt. Okay. We are not terribly forgiving of things <laughs> like that. <laughs> so we've got the health-related grounds. As you mentioned, the multiple DUI convictions, which I'm assuming means that they think you might be addicted to alcohol, which is leading you to these DUI convictions, and also the admitted marijuana usage. Let's touch on that really quickly. Uh, we're recording this in Toronto, Canada. Canada, coast-to-coast, -coast, uh, marijuana is legal. There are several states in the United States where marijuana is legal. So that means I should be able to just say at the border that I use marijuana, Michael? Nope. Right. Uh, so even though you might have, take British Columbia and uh, Washington State, both of which have uh, marijuana legal in the jurisdictions, when you cross over from British Columbia into Washington or if you cross from Ontario into New York, uh, your friendly CBP officer might ask you, Hey, hey, have you ever smoked pot? And if you say yes, you are then admitting to a violation of U.S. federal law. Because it's important to understand that even though you're coming from jurisdiction that allows it and going to a jurisdiction that allows it, there's this thin membrane of U.S. federal law encircling the country. So whenever you come into an airport or if you're crossing a border, you're in this area where U.S. federal law applies, and it is, is still very illegal. Right. We would never advise people, of course, to tell fibs, but what we can say is if you say that you are going down to smoke pot or if you have smoke pot, you say that to a federal officer, you can find yourself in trouble. Yes. Okay. Let's move on. We've got the criminal and related grounds. So we're leaving the health stuff behind, which is kind of attached, maybe sort of, kind of, to criminal stuff, but the criminal stuff now we're talking big business when it comes to immigration and trying to get across the border because people are going to need some legal advice. So we have here criminal and related grounds, 212A2, conviction, including conviction for attempt or conspiracy or admission to elements of a crime involving moral turpitude. There's probably some people out there who have never even heard the term moral turpitude. What are we talking about here? So a crime involving moral turpitude is a very expansive concept in U.S. immigration law, but it's not really well defined. Uh, I can't say, oh, this for sure is a crime of moral turpitude. I have to, whenever I have a client who has a conviction for a particular crime, I have to look at the elements of the crime to understand whether there's some sort of moral turpitude codified in the the statute describing the crime 
And moral turpitude really means depraved or immoral or, as they say, violation of the basic duties owed to fellow man. I had to look at that because it's, it's a little bit archaic. But okay. you get the point that it is something that has an element of dishonesty or an element of moral... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some sort of moral judgment that you shouldn't be committing this crime. Um, to give you an example, to make this real, Please I've do. pulled up uh, the uh, Canadian Criminal Code uh, section on theft, uh, section 332, or sorry, 322, and uh, it lists what you have to have done in order to be convicted of a, of theft over $5,000. And the first element in the crime is fraudulently and without color of right. So the fact that there is a reference to fraud in one of the elements of this crime means that the U.S. would consider a conviction of theft over $5,000 as a crime involving moral turpitude. Okay. So let's look at it at a little more. They break it down into, into some actual uh, crimes in this list here, but also uh, they talk about the years of imprisonment having mattered. So we've got here a violation or conspiracy to violate Controlled Substance Act. I think I don't know if we really need to cover that. I think people know that a, a drug conviction uh, can get you in big trouble. However, there is uh, something to the amount of marijuana, is there not? Exactly. So if you are um, uh, convicted of possession of less than 30 grams of marijuana, then there is an exception to 212A2. And you will most likely be found to be admissible. However, if you have a drug conviction, you're going to have to go through this waiver process to prove that Yes, it was less than 30 grams of marijuana. And we usually see that by going through uh, court documents and arrest records to really ascertain the amount. And, and hopefully the arresting officer made a, a, had either weighed the marijuana in question or uh, had made an estimation of the weight. Uh, but this doesn't apply to other drugs. So if it was less than 30 grams of cocaine or less than 30 grams of LSD, no dice. Okay. We've got multiple convictions leading to an aggregate of five plus years of imprisonment. So you could have been a, a an indecent person, according to them, but as long as it didn't add up to five years in jail. However, how does that square with the moral turpitude thing? I mean, this would have to be a whole bunch of really light sentences, uh, wouldn't it? Right. And the U.S. looks at sentencing for criminality very differently from Canada. So, for instance, you could see a theft over 5,000 type of crime, even though the maximum penalty in the law is 10 years, you could see uh, a, a sentence of just probation or uh 365 days or 364 days of sentence in imprisonment. So it really depends on how much uh, you've had to atone for the sin of this crime, uh, either through imprisonment or through probation, what types of fines there were. Uh, we really have to understand the whole landscape in order to present an argument for the waiver. Okay, and we've got here prostitution or commercialized vice, human trafficking, again, controlled substance trafficking. Drugs comes up a lot, doesn't it? Yes, they don't like drugs. Right. 
All right, let's move on. We've got 212A2, criminal and related grounds again, but we've got a petty offense exception. And people Google this a lot, uh, that, hey, maybe my thing falls under a petty offense, or maybe I can somehow shoehorn it in so it's just a petty offense. It wasn't that bad what I did. How does this work? So um, we have, it's actually a two-step analysis. We have to look at the crime itself, wherever it was committed, what in the statute is the maximum term of imprisonment. So with our example for theft over 5,000, that it has a maximum imprisonment of 10 years. So that wouldn't fall in petty offense. But if you did something like get a mischief conviction, and I don't have the, the number right off the top of my head, that may indeed fall under imprisonment of one year. So mm -hmm. uh, again, we have to look at the, the uh, statute as it's written. And then we also have to look and see what the conviction under that statute resulted in. So um, if, for instance, if we're using our mischief example and assuming that uh, maximum imprisonment would be less than a year, then we would want to see what the actual imprisonment uh, or if there was imprisonment, how that was treated by the court and how you uh, carried out that sentence. That's interesting, isn't it? It's not, you know, you can say to them, uh, the judge only gave me, you know, three months. It wasn't that big a deal, but that doesn't really matter. It's more the letter of the law. Really? Yes. We have to look at that. And then we have to look at what it actually happened as well. Okay. Uh, we have a little, what happens if I'm going to throw a couple of uh, scenarios at you. Uh, so I think we've covered this one, but maybe go into it a little bit because it, I'm wondering how that woman that you were helping out, how she just had residue in a grinder. How does that square against a conviction? That's obviously less than 30 grams, but because it's at the border, that's out the window? So because they found it, uh, they immediately canceled her visa. Uh, if she were a Canadian, for instance, they would most likely arrest her or have a local police jurisdiction arrest her for this drug discovery, and then they would remove her from the United States. So uh, that is creating not only the um, arrest and this one criminal invisibility issue, but she's also been removed. So then we have to also apply for a different type of waiver um, that involves the removal aspect of it. Someone shows up at the border with a joint in the ashtray say, and that is discovered. Uh, obviously, that's a, a turnaround. Uh, can you go back? I, I've heard, uh, I remember hearing like five years at least until you could return to the United States. Yeah, uh, generally, uh, you're inadmissible. Say you're removed from the United States or expeditedly removed, uh, where they turn you around and uh, take your fingerprints and photograph and issue you some paperwork. Uh, that generally would result in a five-year uh, bar of entry. However, you can waive it. Um, uh, you can submit this waiver, but if you do it the next day, they're probably going to say, oh, well, how do we not know that you've rehabilitated your ways and that you're not going to bring a joint into the U.S. again? So uh, generally with these waivers, you have to give it some time and okay. show that this is not what you normally do and and that's it's difficult to show a negative time. okay we're going to talk about waivers in just a second for those tuning in to hear about that but we've got also i just wanted to throw this at you 
Admission to use of cocaine in questioning, is this exactly the same as an admission of using marijuana that they turn around, or does this carry like a, a heavier penalty when they look at that? This cocaine is considered a Schedule One drug in the U.S., so effectively discovering marijuana in any amount and admission to violating the law against possession of controlled substances results in the same expulsion from the U.S. Okay, so an admission to the use of cocaine is, see you later. All right. Yeah, but I expect if you are going to admit to using cocaine that they would then involve uh, medical inadmissibility as well. All right, so let's talk about the waiver process. All the stuff we've talked about is a lot of you can't get in. And people might think there's no legal recourse to turn that around so they can get in. And that's called a waiver process. So the first thing we see when emails come in is usually, can I get a waiver? So am I eligible? The answer, of course, is it depends, but what does it depend on? Well, it really depends on what you were convicted of, what's in the court record, what's in the police documents, how long has it been, and uh, how serious were the convictions that yeah you, of the crimes that you were accused of? We've talked to immigration. I've talked to you, and I've talked to other immigration lawyers about this. Where thirty years down the road, someone goes to the border, and a conviction for something pops up. I think I've even talked to you about this. Someone was knocking the heads off of mailboxes or yep. something when they were young, and I don't know, being a revolutionary or something, <laughs> and. This pops up kid with a bat. <laughs> exactly. And this, you know, conviction pops up on their record 30 years later, and it's as if it happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't honestly even have to be a conviction. It can just be an arrest. Uh, and as long as it sits in the NCIS database uh, with the FBI, and over the past few years, we've been seeing all of these older convictions or arrests popping up because of the success of uh, adding more and more police records into uh, this federal database. But uh, if it pops up, you're inadmissible and you have to deal with that. Right. Uh, with uh, my client who had been knocking the heads off of mailboxes, uh, it was a bit easier to prove because that re literally was 40 years ago. He's led a good life since he hasn't been in trouble. Uh, and we were able to get the waiver very quickly, but it's not always straightforward. Yeah. That leads me to my next question. Of course, how long does it take? So it depends on what waiver process you have to use. Uh, if you are a Canadian, uh, you can make the application using a system called eSafe, uh, which is all electronic. It goes to uh, a, an office called the Admissibility Review Office. And then once it's approved, you go and do the final processing at a port of entry. And those are now open uh, during the pandemic. They had been closed. So uh, there they um, will interview you. They'll take your fingerprints uh, and photograph you. And then the waiver will be finalized. Uh, in general, for Canadians, it takes about I want to say four to six months now. Um, uh, if you're not a Canadian and you require a visa to come into the U.S. and your visa is canceled, then you have to get a new visa appointment somewhere outside of the U.S. and um, 
right now that can take a year or longer uh, because U.S. consulates across the world are backed up. Then when you're meeting with the consular officer to request a, a visa, even if it's just a, a business visitor or a, a tourist visa to the U.S., they're going to see this conviction they're most likely going to either send you to uh, independent medical exam, or if they don't, they still have to send it to the ARO office because the counselor officers can't make that decision themselves. And then ARO is going to look at it, and then they're going to finally approve it. And that can take now 18 months, maybe. Wow. You yeah. don't have to have a trip, of course, in you know, progress, or you don't have to be planning for something like, in other words, let's say somebody is watching this video and they're like, you know what, I have this conviction in my background. Can they start the process now, even though they don't have plans to ever go just so that they have this waiver? Sure. I think that would make sense because it is taking a long time. And right. if you want to go on that fishing trip to the U.S. or go to Disneyland or whatever, plan ahead. Yeah. Uh, what are the chances of success? I know, again, it depends, but there's got to be something in your mind that you have zero chance of success if x what would x be drug trafficking that is the x that is if you are convicted of trafficking you are almost never going to be admitted into the u.s um uh, other crimes that don't reach that level there's usually a good chance of success. We just have to really document the waiver well and show that you're not a threat uh, to the U.S. if you were to come in. What about people that would say, and rightly so, they read the papers and they see that so-and-so is going to perform a concert down in the States or something, and they know for a fact that that weren't they in the news three years ago for DUIs or, or drug possession, and all of a sudden now they're allowed across the border? Where does that uh, stand in the law? So uh, DUI might not be a um, crime involving moral turpitude. It really depends where it happened and uh, what the circumstances were. It is possible that uh, it could be considered a crime involving moral turpitude. It might not. Uh, it really have to look at what is exactly written in the statute of conviction. But um, sometimes uh, different people have different ways of exerting pressure on the system and who they know might be able to get them a waiver faster. Right. But, uh, in general, we really have to understand the exact, uh, the exact set of circumstances to know who can go and when they can go and how much grief they're going to get from CBP officers when trying to enter the U.S. Right. Uh, how can I get into the U.S. with a criminal record? That's the name on the slide here. If you're watching the YouTube channel, the answer is you got to talk to Michael O'Rourke. So email him at moorourke at pacelawfirm.com or give him a call and he'll do his best to help you out. Michael, thanks for this. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.